0: We'll read the uh, first eight verses, and then pray, and then look at that, and, and uh, probably through verse 36, tonight, I'll try to cover the entirety of this chapter. Chapter 41, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears... Swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remembered my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants it put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this evening as your word, your truth, and Lord, as we read of your acts and history and how you work in Joseph and through Joseph and in these events. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher and guide our thinking that we would submit ourselves to your word. we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You heard perhaps of the Presbyterian minister who was walking along, and he stumbled on the curb and fell headlong, flat on his face. And unhurt, accepted perhaps his pride, he got up, dusted himself off, looked back at the curb and said, well, I'm glad that's over with. Think, Presbyterian minister. I don't know why, but people tend to associate providence With Presbyterianism, Uh, now certainly happy to uh, carry that uh, that freight because uh, it's a biblical doctrine. But it's not just the Presbyterians' doctrine. This is in fact a doctrine that we find in Scripture. And while certainly it is true that uh, if you've ever stumbled and fallen, you can uh, get up and recognize that that too was part of God's decree, part of God's providence. But that's not a truth that belongs exclusively to the Presbyterians. Uh, Certainly associated with Calvin, and Calvin puts it this way, speaking of the events of our lives, he says, "...hence we maintain that by God's providence, not heaven and earth and inanimate creatures only, but also the counsels and wills of man are so governed so as to move exactly in the course he has destined. What then will you say? Does nothing happen fortuitously, nothing contingently?" I answer, it was a true saying of Basil the Great, Basil of Caesarea in the 300s, Bishop of Caesarea, Basil the Great, that fortune and chance are heathen terms, the meaning of which ought not to occupy pious minds. For if all success is blessing from God, and calamity and adversity are his curse, there is no place left in human affairs for fortune and chance. And certainly, Historically, we Presbyterians have believed that, but certainly also historically Christians have and should believe that, although there are those today who, uh, who would wobble on that doctrine of pressed, if God really is uh, sovereign over all things. But certainly uh, we learn that in Scripture, and nowhere better, more clearly, uh, than in this whole uh, account of Joseph and his life. Last time... Uh, we looked at Joseph, chapter 40, uh, he was in prison, he interpreted the dreams that were given to the cupbearer of the king and the baker of the king, two very similar dreams and yet yielding two very different outcomes. The cupbearer restored to his position and the baker uh, had his head lifted from him. The cupbearer's head was lifted and the baker's head lifted from him. And Joseph uh, asked the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh. He was in prison unjustly. He should not be there. Um, And yet we read in verse 23, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Perhaps, uh, certainly not maliciously as we find out, but just perhaps in the excitement of being released and the joy of being back in his old vocation, just simply forgot, slipped his mind. Well, we read in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 41, after two whole years, the um, Hebrew is literally two years of days. The point is, basically, we would say two years to the day. Uh, now, remember that the, the release took place with Pharaoh's birthday, so we would assume uh, Pharaoh is now two years older. This is two years to the day after those things happened. Pharaoh had a dream, and then another dream. And, and you know, if you've been with us in the study of Joseph, that dreams play a large role. It was dreams that started out the whole thing. When Joseph was 17, the dreams that God had given him, uh, in which uh, his brothers and then his brothers and parents are bowing down to him, the dreams that got him in trouble. Here he comes, that dreamer, his brothers said, with contempt and malice, and uh, threw him in a pit, dragged him out of the pit, sold them to the uh, Midianite traders who were on their way to Egypt. Well, Pharaoh, uh, or rather, uh, the, the, the baker and the cupbearer had their dreams. And uh, it was Joseph uh, interpreting, God giving the interpretation of those dreams, and they were fulfilled. And now it's Pharaoh's turn to have dreams, all of which... Uh, are are given by God, are showing uh, what is to happen and things that, in fact, did come to pass. And so we read, two years later to the day, Pharaoh dreamed. And Pharaoh dreamed he was standing by the Nile River. Now, in Egypt, the Nile held a very, very special place, certainly agriculturally. But because of that, uh, in their pagan view of things... Uh, it held a very special place spiritually. In fact, they uh, personified the, uh, the flooding of the Nile and the, and the fertility and fruitfulness that it brought. They personified that in a god named Hapi, who was uh, H-A-P-I, who was a god of uh, fertility. And in effect, worshipped the Nile. Saw it as creating Egypt. Egypt grew out of the Nile. And so, and that, that's important in, in all that happens here, but it was the Nile River that was there. And of course, Pharaoh would uh, share all of that, uh, that view of the Nile and, and the regard, even the worship they had for the Nile River. And out of the Nile came seven attractive, good, plump, healthy cows, and uh, they fed there in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly, thin, gaunt, starved cows came up out of the Nile and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Pharaoh woke up, but he fell back asleep. And he had uh, the dream very similar, except this time it had to do with the ears of corn, Uh, the seven ears of grain, plump and good, growing on one stalk. And then the seven thin and blighted ears spring up and swallow up the seven plump ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. You ever have you ever had a dream, you wake up, and you kind of have that, behold, it was a dream kind of reaction to it. You know, it suddenly dawns on you, this isn't real, you had been dreaming, behold, it was a dream. Maybe you didn't put it quite that way, but that's how Pharaoh put it, behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Now, you'll recall that was true with the uh, the cupbearer, with the baker. We read of their dreams, and it says that they were They, too, were were troubled. They were anxious about them. Joseph asks in verse 7, Why are you downcast? Well, we've had dreams. There's no one to interpret them. Well, Pharaoh, worried about his dreams, doesn't know what they mean, and so he sends for all the magicians, all the wise men of Egypt to come. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And so he's in the dark. Well... One of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, verse 9, these events prodded the uh, the memory of the cupbearer. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. I think it's the NIV that reads, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Is that right? Anybody get the NIV? Today I am reminded of my shortcomings, which is a line that I have found useful, quotable on more than... One occasion. Today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. I remember my offenses. And you're know, genuinely shocked. I mean, it's kind of, you've had that feeling when suddenly you realize there was something important that you forgot to do. Oh, yes, Joseph, now i remember. And he felt felt bad about it. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. You have to wonder if he started saying this and thought, I really don't want to remind Pharaoh <laughs> of these things. But he had already started saying it, so where could he go? Uh, and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretations. A young Hebrew was there with us. A the. he may not even remember his name. But a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, We told him he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Well, at this point, you have the dreams and then you have the the cupbearer who remembers this and points back to Joseph. Uh, Of course, uh, in his view, it was Joseph, uh, but we'll see that it was more to it than just Joseph, as Joseph himself acknowledges. Um, But you really do have here uh, a contest. Now, later on, there was a contest that took place in Egypt when God sent the plagues on Egypt, each specifically targeting some Egyptian deity, some area where the Egyptians, through their gods, thought they had mastery, thought they had control. Because, after all, that's ultimately what idolatry of any form is. It's about control and ultimately, whatever the name of the deity or idol might be, the one ultimately being worshipped is yourself. And in the case of the Egyptians, God humbled them by humbling their deities in the plagues. Now, here, there's something similar going on. The importance of the Nile, uh, which was the source of life for Egypt, a source of, or, or an object of worship. And... Pharaoh consulting his wise men, consulting his magicians in Egypt, and none of them could provide an answer for this dream. And so then the chief cupbearer remembers Joseph, and that brings in then the possibility of the answer coming from another and a superior source. Well, in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And the, the, the verbs here are just like this. You get the sense of great haste. Uh, no time to waste. Pharaoh needs information here. Call Joseph, they quickly brought him out of the pit. And that is what the word is. Some translations render it dungeon. It literally is the pit. Sound familiar? And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes. Well, the pit and clothes have uh, placed a large part in Joseph's life already on his on his uh, downward trajectory. Uh, with his brothers throwing him in the pit, taking off his clothes clothes, his coat of many colors, and tearing it and bloodying it, uh, they, they brought him out of the pit, coming out of the pit, he's heading in an upward trajectory here, and he shaved himself, cha- the Egyptians uh, were shaved, in fact, in ancient reliefs that show um, Egyptians and, and others, the Egyptians are always clean shaven, as they drew themselves, so presumably they were, as opposed to the Hebrews and many other ancient ancient Near Eastern cultures, that Usually grew beards, uh, the, the, the Egyptian style, was to be clean-shaven. And so he shaved and changed his clothes, and he came in before Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh presents the information to Joseph. He uh, says, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And so you, it's a statement of human helplessness. I mean, we've reached a point here that there is no answer. There is no nowhere else to turn. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, Joseph is brought in out of his imprisonment, standing before one of the mightiest rulers on earth. And he said, I hear you can interpret dreams. What's the first thing that Joseph does? First thing he does, Joseph answered Pharaoh, verse 16, Not me, literally, not me. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, Elohim, the word for, general word for God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Pharaoh said to Joseph, be get the impression that Pharaoh doesn't want to be troubled by theological niceties. He just wants to know if he's going to get an answer or not. Uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. And he repeats to Joseph, the dreams, although if you study it carefully, the wording, he does elaborate a little bit in the, in the second telling. He, he has a very in here. They were very gaunt so forth. Um, but basically, uh, same, same dreams that we have become familiar with. Verse 24, I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now, that brings us to the... Uh, to, the, to the explanation or the interpretation of the dreams. Uh, verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And again mentions uh, the Lord to him. You know, Joseph is at this point quite willing to deflect any glory, any credit for this uh, from himself. To God. It was said of Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist, Reformed Baptist preacher in London in the 1800s, that someone came up to him and said to him, Sir, that is that is the greatest sermon I've ever heard preached and the greatest sermon I've ever heard you preach. And Spurgeon's reply to him was, Yes, the devil told me that about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, the point, of course, being uh, humility, being uh not not listening too much to flattery and uh, and Joseph you know he could have said yeah you know I'll, I'll tell you the dream uh, just let me let me let me hear about it King and I'll tell you all about it he didn't do that again you know he says no it's God and here again uh, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do seven good cows are seven years the seven good ears are seven years And the dreams are one. Seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. and seven empty ears blighted by the east wind also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now again, this, this the third time, this theocentric, this God-oriented focus, that it's not the Nile River. It's not Hopi. It's not any of the other Egyptian deities. It's Elohim. It's the God of the Hebrews who rules, and this is God, who is showing Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling. Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will bring it uh, shortly. Bring it about. In other words, the fact that it uh, occurred twice meant that it is coming surely, and it is coming swiftly. We might say today, God will shortly bring it about. Therefore, now at this point, Joseph's interpreting. Now, when we come to this next verse, verse thirty-three, Joseph steps out on somewhat risky. Pharaoh asked for an interpretation of the dream, and Joseph gave him the interpretation of the dream, but to this point, we might say, stop preaching and gone to meddling, because he starts to give a little bit of counsel to Pharaoh. He begins to advise Pharaoh to suggest what, uh, what he might do about the information that God has given to him through the dream. Verse 33, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, Now, in this council, he basically gives three recommendations. One, that somebody needs to be appointed to oversee this activity. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now, the position, the kind of position that Joseph describes here, and in fact that we know that he attained to in Egypt, was actually... uh, not a unique position. Uh, it was a position called a vizier. It was something like, uh, like a prime minister. Uh, there was one, actually, some ancient records in the tomb of a, a certain Rechmeyer, was his name, who actually served as a vizier to the Egyptian Pharaoh Tutmosis the Third, and it, it, this this ancient writing described the kinds of activities that were under his authority, under his control. Uh, Basically, all activities of state, uh, overseer of the treasury, uh, chief justice, chief of police, minister of war, secretary of interior, secretary of agriculture, basically running the country under the authority of Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself was considered something of a deity among the Egyptians. Uh, and while not necessarily a, a figurehead, um, often did not trouble himself with the actual day-to-day details of, of running a country. And so uh, there there are other records outside Scripture that indicate the kind of position that Joseph held. Well, it was his suggestion then to appoint a certain man, and in fact, in effect, that's what Joseph became, a vizier, vizier in uh, in Egypt. He also appoint, uh, or makes the recommendation that, uh, that this person have a staff, that he have others that he oversees who are at work. Uh, verse 34, Pharaoh proceeded to appoint overseers over the land. And he also recommends, of course, uh, the stockpiling of grain during the seven good years in order to have enough to eat to get them through the seven bad years. In fact, he recommends taking one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt uh, during that time and storing it up to be a reserve against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Well, we'll look at the next part of this chapter next time, but we'll just look at 37, 38, where Pharaoh responds proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, like Joseph, in whom is the Spirit of God? Note there it could also be translated, Spirit of the Gods. Well, we've seen Joseph come pretty much full circle. We'll look at his actual ascension and uh, his investiture as his taking this place that Pharaoh gives him. Uh, But as we go back and look at this, we just need to go back and recognize, uh, again, in in something of a quiet way, uh, and yet here, obviously, the the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, on the one hand, uh, not just ruling over Christians, but ruling over a pagan nation, ruling over a pagan leader. And in fact, uh, ruling throughout Joseph's life, certainly things that he himself had control over, but also things he had absolutely no control over. Once again, we meet Joseph here, and it's been another two years that he's been imprisoned. Think about it. I mean, we we read it in a matter of seconds. But think of, you know, Joseph's hope being raised with the cupbearer that maybe he'd remember him, maybe he'd be able to get out and... Time passed, and time passed, and nothing happened. He was there for another two whole years, a long time to sit. Well, we look at this again, though, in Joseph's faithfulness. Um, there's a lot missing here in the sense of we don't know the details of what went, what went through Joseph's mind. as He had all that time, time to process, time to think. Um, but even now we discern someone very different in character. Note this, three times uh, Joseph gives glory to God. Verse 16, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then again, verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And again, verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Uh, Back in verse 28, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. I would say that's quite a different person than that 17-year-old who was saying to his brothers, let me tell you what I dreamed about. You know, what I dreamed was, you know, in in symbolic form, basically telling his brothers, I dreamed you all are going to be bowing down to me. And the sheaves are going to be bowing down to my sheep. And the stars and the sun and moon also, we're going to be bowing down to me. Just Didn't have quite the uh, maturity, the discernment to maybe see what kind of reaction that might provoke in his brothers. Or perhaps he had just the perversity to see what kind of reaction that would provoke in his brothers, which may be why he told it to them in the first place. Very different from the person who could stand before a world ruler and say, "I I can't do that. But God can. God has shown you this. God will do this. And so already, uh, as we studied some time back the life of Jacob and saw his sanctification, so I think we see that here in Joseph as well. God is at work. God is at work in Joseph. God was at work in Egypt to humble them, to humble their gods, so that it was through the efforts of one poor, humble Hebrew that a pagan nation was saved. You see, it's not just the Presbyterian doctrine that God is sovereign, that God rules. Joseph believed it absolutely with all his heart, and we find it taught throughout all of Scripture. Well, it's easy to get to the good part, and we'll look at that, Uh, but we have to remember God led Joseph through some pretty dark and pretty despairing times to bring him to the place where he was. God's will for Joseph, ultimately, yes, was power, was authority, was visibility, And yes, some measure of vindication to his brothers and his family. But God's will for Joseph first was his sanctification. We saw this morning. God's will for Joseph was his sanctification. And it took being sold. It took being imprisoned, falsely, falsely accused to bring Joseph to the point where he was ready to do the work that God had sent him to Egypt to do. And so it's worth remembering. We don't know what the rest of our story is, whatever it might be that we go through now or go through in the future, but we can rest assured that God does, and he will lead us to whatever it is that he has in store for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Joseph. Thank you that his story is recorded in Scripture for us. Uh, and yet, Lord, as easy as it is to look at the, the glory look at the work that you brought him to do yet we need to go back and look Lord at the years that he spent in prison not knowing what the end would be not knowing what his outcome would be not knowing if he wouldn't spend the rest of his life in prison and yet Lord we see that you were humbling him you were shaping him Father we pray that you would do that to us like Joseph we don't know what tomorrow holds we don't know what next year holds you do we trust you we pray that you would work in our lives, that you would sanctify us, that you would chip off the rough edges, that you would break uh, us of our proud attitudes, that you would humble us, that you would mold us into what you would have us to be, to make us usable and useful to you. Help us to trust you, Lord. Such shaping, such molding is not easy. It can be very painful. But Lord, we pray that whatever purpose you have in our lives, you would accomplish your purpose of sanctification in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.